Well, good morning. How are you? Come on. Hey, I'm Pastor Ryan Stone. If we, had not, if we have not yet met, uh, I'll be the last one to leave, and I would love to meet you. It'd be an honor uh, for me to get to meet you. I am on staff here, one of the pastors, and uh, it is a super exciting time to be here at the Church 1122. Uh, we are just now kind of entering into getting into our what we call mission trip season around here. At this church, we have uh, the, the season leading up to Christmas, the season leading up to Easter, and then mission trip season, all right? We don't even have summer. We have mission trip season. So uh, Pastor Joby and Pastor Ben are both actually out. One's in Jamaica, one's in Costa Rica. We've got several team members and church family all over. Um, so that's exciting. In two weeks, we are celebrating baptism at Hannah Park, okay? Okay, there we go. And uh, we've got about 300 people getting baptized, and it's going to be a party at the park, so come on. Um, just plan on just leaving here. You can come in your be- ba- uh, bathing suits in two weeks, most of you. Some of you, we'll talk about modest is hottest later. Um, so that's coming up. That's huge. And then, you know, this weekend we're celebrating seniors that are about to graduate. That's cool. Some of you call- college kids have already graduated. Um, Clifton and Caitlin are, are knocking out of the park in New Gen, but this, this class is a little extra special to me because uh, several of the students in this graduating class were actually my first set of students when we were at Beach United Methodist, and just to see what God's done uh, in our lives in the last six years, and especially some of these students, it's just a little humbling to me, and I'm not going to stay there long because I'll, I'll start tearing up, and, and uh, one of their mamas on the second row, and she'll cry, and it'll become a spectacle, and we just can't, we don't have time for that. Um, so let's go ahead and get into Acts chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. It's our gift to you. Um, feel free to take it. If it's like the 18th one you've taken, okay, uh, we are, we're generous, but what, unless you're just like giving them away, you got to bring some of them back, okay? Um, every time you leave yours at home doesn't mean you get to add another one to your car collection. Here we go. Acts chapter 14, verse 19, we're going to pray and we're going to dig in. Lord, we love you, and God, we thank you that you're so good to us in the good and in the bad. And that we, uh, we, we celebrate you in times of thanksgiving, and we, we celebrate you in times of suffering. And so, God, this morning, uh, just help us to see your goodness. Help us to see the truth of your scripture. And, um, God, help us to see that you want to make us perfect and, and complete and lacking in nothing. In your name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. If this is your first week with us, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts. We started in September, and this week we're going to almost be done with chapter 14. Um, at some point, we're going to finish this, this book, and then uh, I'm challenging Pastor Joe to go verse by verse through Psalms. I just think that would be interesting. Um, <clears throat> and that <laughs> Here we go, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, that's literal stones, rocks, okay, not like a, not like a hippie fest. There's like, all right, we don't need DEA in here. It's just, it's rocks. They're throwing at them. I need ATF. Um, here we go. And, and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So let me get you caught up here and let you know what's going on. But the Jews, so the Jews, this, this group of Jews, sometimes they're called the Judaizers. 
There's this group of Jews that started in Antioch in, in Acts 13, um, right, right around verse 45. It says that some Jews grew jealous of the ministry of Paul and Barnabas, of the ministry of the gospel. And so they did make it their, their, uh, their life mission is to follow Paul and Barnabas. And every city that Paul and Barnabas goes into, they preach the gospel, they make disciples, they preach the name of Jesus. And then shortly after them, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and you're going to see this go on and on and on throughout the rest of the book of Acts. These Jews show up and go, hey, don't believe them. They're crazy. They're making stuff up. Yeah, Jesus sounds good now, but Jesus, what's he going to do for you in the long run? And so the gospel is being spread, and then just, just truth. As the gospel is spread, uh, every time the gospel spreads, there will, be, there will be enemies of the gospel who come and try to derail the movement. So these Jews are following around. They've gone from Antioch to Iconium, and now... They're in Lystra, and having persuaded, persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. So they, this crowd is the same crowd we talked about last week in Lystra. When the gospel came in, Paul and Barnabas came in, they preached the gospel. The crowd last week, earlier in Acts chapter 14, goes, you guys must be gods. They confused the message with the messenger. They said, hey, you've got a great message, so you must... That you, they got it all confused. The message was the gospel, that Jesus was the Son of God. They got it all confused, and they go, Paul, Barnabas, you guys must be gods. And Paul and Barnabas goes, no, 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 no. We are simply here on behalf of the one true God. Right? So that's, that's earlier in chapter 14, and now the Jews come in, and now they've gone from you guys must be God to, hey, let's kill them. Right? To which I know if I'm Paul, I'm going, hey, can we just settle somewhere in between? Like, all right, we're not God, and we don't want to be dead. Can we just, just be Paul? And so they go, hey, we're going to kill him. This, this is why I, got, I don't really trust opinion polls. I know some of you, anybody news junkies out there, just admit it. This is a place for you to confess that sin that you just can't get off of Fox or CNN, right? And if we let Fox and CNN, we had that battle in here, that would be a little royale. Uh, we're not going to do that. Um, diversity is part of who we are. And so I don't really trust the opinion polls because when you watch the news, if you don't like what the news is telling you, opinion polls-wise, do one or two things. Flip the channel. Right? You just go from one channel to the next, and then it's a completely different opinion poll. I don't know how that works. Or just wait 24 hours, and it will change. Okay? Uh, this is not a political statement, but um, when George W. Bush was leaving the office, all the opinion polls said, we don't like him. We like this new guy coming in. Well, George W. Bush opened a library a few weeks ago. And uh, in this day and age, library, everybody loves them, right? Because you can't just go on the Internet and get all the same stuff. Um, but he opened a library, and they did the opinion poll, and they are like, well, we like George Bush. Get rid of this current guy. Okay? Um, crowds are fickle and people are crazy, okay? So here's what happens. Nothing has changed since the first century. The, the Paul and Barnabas come in and they're promising hope that the hope is in Jesus. And the Jews come in and go, no, 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 we don't want hope in Jesus. We want hope in ourselves. We want hope in leaders. We want hope in this. And then they go, okay, well, let's kill them. Let's just stone them. And, and here's what happens. When people don't get what they want, they get mad. And mad people get even, Right? And you can, I'm not, don't stop elbowing the person next to you, but we know this is true even in this room. When you don't get what you want, you get mad. They stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city. Have you ever, like, just read the Bible and paused for a second? Okay, Paul and Barnabas did the miracle. Paul and Barnabas got called gods. If you fast forward in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, and they tell all the elders and all the, 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 the Christians in Antioch, Here's what God did to us and through us, and we had this great mission trip, and here's the number of people that came to know the Lord, and here's the number of churches we planted. And so if you look, Paul and Barnabas did the work, and then Paul and Barnabas celebrated the work, but now it's time to like get persecuted for the work, and Barney's out. 
He's like, I ain't, I'm not that. Paul takes the beating. Paul takes, he gets stoned. Now, as, as I read through, um, as I read through the text of, the, of Acts, there's sometimes I see these correlations. It's just kind of easy. Now, I'm not trying to be all like weird. Like, well, my life, I'm just like this character in the Bible because I have, I'm unique. I get that. But as I read Paul and Barnabas' story, I, sometimes I go, it kind of reminds me of Pastor Joby and me, right? There's just some similarities, right? So Paul would come into town and be like, you're wretched. You got three years ago on a mission trip, and you're, you're a, a sack of, but Jesus loves you and has saved you. And God, man, and woo, and like half the people go, bless Jesus, let's follow. And the other half goes, let's stone him. And that, you know, that's kind of Joby's MO, right? If you've ever heard Pastor Joby preach, half of you walk out angry, and the other half of you walk out going, thank you that God used him, right? Well, Barnabas was a son of encouragement, and he just kind of come behind Paul and just would encourage, and he and, and all, so that's, that's kind of my job around here, right? Joby, go get him, buddy. And then I come around and go, hey, God loves you, right? Joby's right. You're wretched without Jesus. Come give me a hug, right? And even on the staff, like, like Joby lives in about 2015, 2017, 2027. Like, he's 10 years ahead of us almost always. And he'll come in the staff meeting and go, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. God's going to do We're going to do blah, 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 blah. And everybody in the room goes, <laughs> I, I just need to find a stapler. And so I just hug them all go, we're going to go do it. It's going to be awesome. And so that's kind of, I, I love watching Paul and Barnabas and how, how the way they do ministry and the way God just takes people with unique giftings and unique callings and unique personality and puts them together and says, y'all two go do it. And uh, Pastor Joey and I get to do that every week. But as I was reading the text this week, it hit me that there's probably even a deeper similarity here. You see, when, when we launched this place, Pastor Joby and his family took a lot of shots. They took shots from people we never thought they'd take shots from. They took shots from people we didn't even know. And they took a lot of shots and a lot of hits. And uh, Pastor Joby just kind of, he just kept going. And he would say to me, hey, I want you, I want you and, and our staff got this awesome opportunity to come up underneath the protection of what God was doing through Pastor Joby and planted a church. And, and everybody took shots, but... But he got some of the hardest and deepest, and, and, and he just said, hey, I'm just going to shoulder these because what God's doing in here, somebody's going to have to take some hits. And, and I'm humbled and honored to get to be on a staff where a man said, hey, I'm going to do the things asked of me by God so that you can do the things asked of you. And I realized that in this moment that, that Paul took the shots because Paul was the leader. It wasn't like Barnabas just dipped out. It wasn't like Barnabas was like, oh, everybody's getting stoned today? I think I'll, I think I'll stay inside and journal. No, no, it's that, that the leader is what, is what the enemy began to attack. And so I was humbled. And, and I just want to offer this word of encouragement to you, men and women. If you're leading anything, it is, it is your uh, job and your opportunity. It's your responsibility and your opportunity to take some of the hits. If you're leading your family, right, men, single, single moms, if you're leading your family, it is your opportunity that when the enemy attacks, you get to take some of that. If you're leading a disciple group, if you're leading a business, if you're leading anything where you're in charge and you're leading, you are going to get the responsibility and opportunity to take some of the hits so that the people behind you can continue to grow in their faith. Well, what about those of us who, who aren't getting the hits? What are we supposed to do? Verse 20 says, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went with Barnabas. So some of you, you're going to get hit, and it's your job to just stand firm in the power of the resurrection, to stand firm in the goodness of God, that he won't put you in any situation that he can't deliver you from. But if you're not the one taking the shots, it's your job to gather around, to circle around the one taking the shot. It's not your job to take more shots. It's not your job to even go, I think he deserves the shots. 
here's the deal. I'm, I'm the leader of my family, and I, I guarantee you, half the shots I take, I probably set up. <laughs> and my wife's going, hey, you're probably right on that one, Ryan. But here's the deal. My wife loves me so much that she just kind of comes alongside me and gathers around me and loves me and helps defend me and helps pray over me. And if you are the leader, get ready for the shots. And if you're not the leader, get ready to gather around and pray for healing. That ain't even the sermon today. That's just all free, right? Here we go. Let's get going. So they went on with Barnabas to Derby. Pretty sure that's where horse racing was invented. Um, verse 21. They're in Derby, right, where the horse racing was invented. If you don't get that joke, God bless you, all right? Not very funny, but at least deserved a little chuckle. Number 20, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and, and, and Antioch. So here's what happens. They go to Derby and they start doing ministry, right? And if you, are ever, if you ever want to know where, how does the church 1122, how are they going to build their ministry philosophies, all you have to do is just go to the Bible and read it, and then we just try to do that, right? Um, none of us feel like we're any smarter than anybody else. But we do know that over and over again, if we just take the Bible and do what it says, when we do what God tells us to do, then God becomes responsible for the outcome. And so I'm smart enough to go, I'm not going to make it up. I'm just going to do what it says here and try to reproduce it. Verse 21, so this was Paul's ministry. This is our strategy of ministry. It's very complex. So if you have pens and paper, you might, we might even draw some diagrams. Here is Paul's strategy of ministry. He did two things. He preached the gospel. And he made disciples. So here's what we're going to do week in and week out and week in and week out for hopefully decades and decades and decades to come until Jesus comes back at the church 1122. We're going to preach the gospel and we're going to make disciples. And we're going to do it here. We're going to do it throughout the United States. We're going to do it throughout the world. We're going to preach the gospel and we're going to make disciples. We're going to preach the gospel. The reason we gather on the weekends as a body is to glorify God through worship and word. And we're just going to show up and we're going to teach the Bible. And, and we're probably not going to all, we're probably not going to do like five ways to be a better friend. We're just going to go, what does the gospel say to us? Where do we need to uh, approach the gospel mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually? How, what does the gospel do? And then we're just going to make disciples. One of the primary ways we make disciples in the context of this local church is disciple groups. It's the reason why every week our disciple groups, um, we, we use curriculum that's written in-house by a team of gifted and talented writers that is the echo of the weekend sermon. So we preach the gospel on the weekend, and then throughout the week, we get together and study the gospel and make disciples. It, it's why when you look at our ministry opportunities, we don't have 9,000 options. We have, we have uh, preach the gospel, make disciples, and community transformation. This is who we are over and over and over and over again. So they went to Derby, they preached the gospel, they made disciples, and then they returned to Lystra. Well, why? Verse 22 and 23 tells us why they went back to the town they just got stoned at, right? Verse 22, they went strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Here's what happens, verse 22 and verse 23. Uh, Paul and Barnabas go, hey, we're going back to the Lystra, we're going back to Conan, we're going back to Antioch, and they had two goals. Verse 23 shows us they had this corporate goal to build church structure, to put churches together, to, to, in, to institute elders at the church. 
In fact, before we started here at the church 1122, the first thing that Pastor Joby did, uh, and before we, before we became a church, Pastor Jerry Sweat said, you guys are going to go be a church. And, and, and uh, Pastor Joby's jaw kind of hit the, hit the table. He's like, what? And then as soon as he realized Pastor Jerry was, was, was serious, he goes, okay. And he goes and builds uh, an elder board. He goes and finds some of the godliest men that we've ever met and says, would you guys be elders on our, on our team? Would you help lead our church? And we've got five of the most godly men I've ever met in my life that are our elders. And Paul's kind of first, um, first deal when he goes back to these towns, one of, his, one of his big things is corporately, he wanted to build the church structure. He wanted to build the church that it would be healthy and would fuel ministry. And so he appoints elders. Now, I, I'm really not going to go any further in that right now because we're going to come back around in a few chapters and like give you uh, more details about what elders and deacons are and how we're set up. So um, if I preach Pastor Joby's sermons now, he won't have anything to say. <laughs> Like that man couldn't find out something to say. Um, all right, here we go. Verse 22. This is where I would like to spend a little more time today. Uh, here's the first thing he did. He went to strengthen the souls of the disciples. So he wanted to go build church structure and set up elder boards in that corporate uh, mindset of the church, that kind of that body, that united body. But the, the big thing that he's doing here individually was strengthening the souls of the believers. Strengthening the souls. Literally, that word strengthening means to build foundation. So Paul went back and built some foundation in the souls of the believers. Now, the word soul here is the Hebrew idea of the entirety of the body. So heart, soul, mind, strength, physical, spiritual, emotional, physical. So Paul and Barnabas go back to these towns to take these individuals and build a biblical foundation so they know how to walk out their faith. And he does it in two very simple ways. The first thing he does, verse 22 encouraging them to continue in the faith. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. This literally means, hey, go and experience what you believe in. He goes, hey, look, it's not enough to just go, I believe in Jesus or I have faith that Jesus is who Jesus says he is. Paul tells them, he encourages them, he instructs them to go and experience what you believe in. Go and experience. You say, I believe that Jesus is love. Go experience that love. I, I believe that Jesus is the peace that passes all understanding. Well, go experience that peace. It's very this pastoral, heartwarming, uh, very true, very intentional. He tells them, go and love Jesus, just go and have peace, patience, kindness, joy, gentleness. Just go and experience those things that God has promised us. And then he goes, and, and with the same energy, he goes, and through many tribulations will enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to just be honest with you. I love when Paul says, just experience the love of God. I get a little uneasy when he goes, and, and, this is cool too. This is cool too. You're going to get to have trials. Which I'm going... Come on, can we just, I know you guys got stoned, Paul, but why are you so bitter? What's up with this? He goes, no, no, here's the deal. He goes, he goes, we need to know that Jesus loves us. We need to experience our belief. And he goes, it is good because God's going to give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to experience the truth of the Scripture. Now, Paul's not saying here that punishment is required to get into heaven. He's not saying Self-martyrdom, sacrifice is required to get into heaven. Well, it is, but here's the truth. Christ has already paid every sacrifice on the cross. So it's not like Paul's going, hey, here's the deal. Um, it would be awesome if you would just uh, do a self 
martyring, if you would just kind of self-defeat yourself and that would help you get to heaven. No, 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 no. The martyr has already died on our behalf. We have nothing left to pay for. Um, When we go through trial and suffering, it's not God punishing us because he's angry with us. It's a loving father in heaven allowing us to be disciplined. He's already punished Jesus for what we've done. And so what he says here is that the roadmap to heaven is not required to sacrifice, but it is a cool thing that God does that he allows us to go through suffering. If I was to get a roadmap out and we're going to drive from here to California, we would go through green pasture land. We'd go through deserts. We'd go up and down mountains. We'd go around and around lakes. We'd go curving and straight, and there'd be dirt road and paved roads and pot roads. We'd drive through Mississippi, and we wouldn't know if we're on a paved road or a dirt road or a gravel road because it's all the same thing there. They call it an interstate, and you don't know what you're on. So if we went from here to California, we would experience all kinds of things, but we would tell it at the end. We'd go, man, the journey was so much fun. And what Paul's saying here is on our journey to heaven, on our path from being justified and being made a son, a daughter of Jesus to the point we're in heaven, we are going to have opportunities to engage suffering. And Paul doesn't say it as if it's going to be a bad thing. Here's, where, here's the question I've got for us today. What if when we say, God, deliver us from this trial? What if when we say, God, get me out of this suffering, get me out of this trial? What if when we say, God, deliver us from the trial? What if he is answering, I'm delivering you through this trial? What if when we ask God, God, would you deliver me and get me out of this suffering ASAP? What if he says, I'm I'm leaving you there because what I'm trying to do is purify you and mature you and grow your faith in that trial? Now, I, I need to pause for a second and say this. Trials and sufferings have many causes. Some of us have caused trials and sufferings in our own life, and we've got no one to blame except for the person we see in the mirror each morning. Some of us in the room, uh, we've inherited some trials and suffering because someone we love, someone we trusted has betrayed us, or someone we love and trusted has hurt us intentionally, unintentionally. Um, Sometimes you receive your trials and your suffering because it was somebody else's fault. And then there's sometimes where we just, you just get in the middle of it and it's nobody's fault. We just live in a broken world and, and broken things break things. And, and, and whether it's your fault or whether it's someone you know you love has caused it to you or whether it's just a, a, a casualty of a broken world. Here's the thing I know about all three of those. God is still so good that he would let it be your fault. He'd let it be somebody else's fault. He'd let it be sin's fault. And he would respond the same. In love. The guy said, I don't care if you try, if you cause it, if it get caused to you or just happen. God says, he loves us so much that he says, I'll use everything. I'll use trials you caused. I'll use trials that were caused to you. I'll use all of it for your good. Because Romans 8 says he works for the good for those who love him. And so God is telling us in every suffering, in every trial, that I love you so much that I'm going to work it for the good. I, I love it. It excites me that God is so good that even Paul in Romans and Acts 14 would say, hey, trials are coming, and you should, you should anticipate them. Not in a, oh, they're coming, but in, oh, what, what's God going to do? Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to kind of focus on verse 22, and that doesn't mean we're going to get out of here in the next 10 minutes, because this is the church 1122. When you came in, you signed up for a good hour and a half message. Um, that's what they told me, at least. So here's what I want to do just for a few minutes. I want to run through five paradigm shifts, five different ways to think about suffering that would help us walk through suffering and honor God. 
Um, there's some blanks in your notes. We're going old school, right? And, and I'll just kind of give you the disclaimer. I think each one of these points might could be a sermon of itself in, within a series of itself. Um, but we may never finish Acts, so I don't know if I'm ever going to get that opportunity. We might still be preaching Acts until Jesus comes back. Verse number, uh, here's the first point. Trials are not meant to be an attack, but conditioning for our souls. If we're going to look at trials the way that God wants us to look at trials, we have to start with this truth. Trials are not an attack. They're, they're conditioning. They're conditioning. Trials are not a punishment. They are conditioning. James says it this way. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James doesn't even give us the potential that we might not meet trials. It's not considerate joy if a trial were to happen across your path. James says, no, 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 no. Considerate joy when you meet trials, right? Some of you are in trials. Some of you are coming out of trials. Some of you this week are going to get one phone call and head right into one. You don't even see it coming. And James says this, hey, it's going to happen. So count it all Joy, my brothers, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Here's what James says. James says, when trials come, it should cause your heart to fill with joy. Like anticipating excitement, joy. Not like, I'm not talking about false, like, oh, gee, golly, I'm so happy. I'm talking about joy, just that the God would bring this into my life. It's joy. Why? Because trials are what mature us and condition us. That through trials, our hearts, our faith grows steadfast. Our faith strengthens. And when our faith strengthens, it has the full effect that we may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. It would be the equivalent if I decided I was going to run a triathlon, right? Just don't laugh, right? Somebody Thursday night laughed. Like third row, I was like, well, I almost came down and popped them. All right, here's the don't laugh. So let's say I decided to run a triathlon. I'm not. The word triathlon is a cuss word in my house, okay? Um, I'm okay with running. I'm okay with swimming. I'm okay with riding bikes. Doing them together is insanity, okay? And so let's just say I'm going to do that. Let's say for some reason it's going to happen. I go get a trainer. Me and the trainer start doing all kind of work. Um, we go to, and then at the end of the workout, they go, hey, we're going to do an ab circuit, right? Which is appropriate because I have an ab. Some people have abs. I have an ab. Um, it's... It's box shape. Um, and so let's say we're going to do an ad. We're going to do planks. We're going to do sit-ups. Now, I would not stand up and point at that trainer and go, you are attacking me. You hate me. You want me to die. Why do you come against me? I'm going to come against you in, in the name of Jesus Christ. Of Nat- I, I don't do that. Why? Because I know that trainer is doing the best they can do to help me to go towards the goal. They're conditioning me. They're going to put me in some circumstances that are not comfortable, that I would not go on my own so that I can be better conditioned for the goal. Do you know what the goal is with God? It's this, verse, verse 4, that you would be perfect, complete, and lack nothing. Now, just for a second, just be honest. Have you reached that point? Just, just be honest. Are you perfect? Are you complete? Are you lacking in nothing? If your answer is, no, no, I'm not there yet, then we should consider it joy that God would continue to bring suffering to us, that we would mature, that we would grow, that he would put us in places we would never go ourselves. That trials are not an attack, but they're conditioning for the soul. Number two, trials are not meant to isolate us from God. All right? Uh, Sometimes when we look at trials and suffering, um, we we tend to think of it as God's timeout for us, that we're in trouble. Okay? Okay? Now, I think timeout is great. 
right? I think it's best following a good spanking. That's just how we roll in my house. But time out is great. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes our little two-year-old, she's sweet and she's cute. She's amazing. She's a wretched black-hearted sinner all wrapped up in one. And sometimes when she needs a time out, really it's not her, it's mommy and daddy, right? I'm just going to be honest. There are times where, my, where I pick my little good, good Emery, Go into your bedroom. And I go put her down, and I walk out, and Blair's like, what's wrong? I was like, if I didn't put her in a bedroom and sit her down, five minutes from now, I'd be throwing her in a bedroom. So for my sake, I decided she needed a timeout, right? Here's the truth. God is in heaven. He doesn't need a timeout from parenting and disciplining us. He does not need a moment where he goes, I'm just going to send them to the corner and not talk to them. No. No, God is in heaven. Training, trials are not meant to isolate us, to put us in the corner, to punish us. They're actually meant to do the opposite. They're meant to entrust our hearts to Jesus. Here's how Peter puts it. First Peter, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Just notice the amount of times in Scripture that the writers go, the trial's coming, don't let it surprise you. It's coming. It's coming. Don't let it, don't, don't let it uh, surprise you in the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you are, let me read that again. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter said, hey, look, if, you, if you're insulted because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is resting on you, that God loves you so much that he would give you his Holy Spirit, do you not know that that suffering is coming because you've been identified as a son or a daughter of the creator of the world and that, that this suffering is coming against you, not because of you, but because of who your daddy is? That's what Peter's saying here. Verse 15, but let not one of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. So Peter kind of covers his tracks here, right? Every suffering is not because the Spirit lives in you. Sometimes you, you mess up. But let none of you, I read that one already, uh, 16. Yeah, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Here's, here's, uh, trials are not meant to isolate us. In fact, the, the opposite is true in this, that when we get into the lowest of the lows of the lows, and we get to the bottom of, our, of, of the barrel. We get to the bottom of our life. We get to that place of existence where we hope is beginning to dissipate. It's in that moment. It's in, in that moment that the only true fellowship we can have at any moment in that is with Jesus. See, Philippians chapter 2 tells us this, that Jesus left divinity, took on the form of humanity, and even died the lowest death of the lowest criminal. So that anywhere on that spectrum we'd find ourselves, Christ can identify with, Christ can enter into fellowship with us because he has been there. He has lived that life. He's felt those emotions. He's lived that, that ups and downs. And in the middle of our trials, our enemy, Satan, would come and go, hey, see, God's forgotten you. And in the middle of those trials is the loudest of the loud where Jesus is going, I would never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is to the point where he says, I've been there and I know the way to victory. Follow me. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. And here's the temptation at that moment when you get isolated. is to go, I'll have fellowship with substance. 
I'll have fellowship with pleasure. I'll have fellowship with financial gain. I'll have fellowship with, with this guy or this girl, and it'll make me feel better. It'll numb the pain. And Jesus is going, it's not about numbing the pain. It's about healing the wound. And in that moment, in that depth, what would, what would cause us in humanity to feel isolated, we'd go, hey, just, just numb the pain. And Jesus is going, no, I've already paid the price. I've already been beaten and bruised. Not that you would have to numb the pain, but so that we as his beloved children could be healed, could be healed. There's something that happens in, in war. If you've ever talked to the old war vets, this, this bond that, that's unexplainable and unbreakable between old vets, to hear them talk about stories. I hear my granddad who was in World War II, Purple, Purple Heart. He was a, a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps. He was a pretty cool dude. He would talk about his, his friends and his colleagues and his fellow soldiers, and he could never explain to me where the bond began, but he knew it would never end. And it's because they went through the depths together. They went through war together. And there's something about suffering that puts us in, in the depths of existence that Christ comes along and goes, hey, I've got a bond for you that's unexplainable and unbreakable. And it's not just to get your pain numbed, it's to get your wounds healed. See, I could teach that one for hours, but we don't have time. Verse three, or chapter, or number three. Trials are not meant to be the end, but the gospel turns trials into triumphs. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 8 says this, So then, brothers, are we debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So here's our existence. We are children of God. For those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus and know his salvation. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with us, with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, then heirs. If heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we, suffer, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Paul's telling the church in Rome this. Hey, part of being the sons, the daughters, the heirs of, of the throne of heaven, of being in the kingdom, being in the family of God. Part of just what is true is that when daddy suffers, everyone suffers. And we understand that because Jesus suffered, we, we know in our suffering that we have an ally. And in that suffering, not only do we have an ally in that suffering, but because Christ is that ally, because Christ has already gone ahead and proclaimed victory, that in that suffering that we have an ally, we know the path to victory, and our ally is leading us there. And that trials are not the end, trials are not defeat, but because, our, because we are heirs, because we are under the umbrella of authority of the one who's already overcome, we just get in line and we go, this trial's not going to be the end, it's just going to be the catalyst to God's victory. Verse 19 says this, For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
Paul says, because of the fact that we know victory is the implication of the gospel, if we really do what Paul says, if we continue in in our faith, if we believe what we believe, that Jesus is the victor, that, that, that we are more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength, if we really believe that, then any trial, any suffering we sit in, we know this is an end. This is not how it ends, right? You guys, we watch movies all the time where the hero is in a spot, but how are they going to get out of this spot, right? 24 is coming back, praise Jesus, and Jack Bauer every five minutes is in a spot where I go, I don't know how he's going to get out, and yet he gets out because the trial's not the end. It's just the catalyst to the victory. Do you know where Hollywood got that idea from? The author and perfecter of our faith. That Jesus said the cross ain't the end. It's just a catalyst. I'm just going to use the trial, the suffering, to free all mankind. And so we have this opportunity to see, even though we suffer in a moment, it's just going to be the catalyst to the, to the, to the victory. Six and a half years ago, my dad called me. And um, he said, hey, Ryan, I, I got, got something to ask you. I said, what is it? He goes, I'm planning on calling your mom in, in a few minutes and telling her that we have a colonoscopy scheduled in the morning. I probably have cancer. How should I tell her? And I just said, with a little more grace than you told me, well, let's just start there. All right, let me coach you up, old man. How about you? Just do you, Can you say that again? We got what going on? Found out my dad had uh, stage four colon cancer. And for the next few months, um, they, they pulled out parts of his colon. They, they shot him with radiation. They shot him with chemo. Uh, he, he would get done with chemo, and they would put him on a pill that was acting like chemo. So even when he wasn't in chemo, he was on heavy medication. And can I just tell you, for those few months, looking in just, in, in just the, the lens of those few months, it was trial and suffering, and it hurt, right? It did not, it did not help that we, Blair and I had been newly married trying to figure that out. We shortly moved down here, moved away from my dad who was going through surgery. And in those surgeries, um, uh, infection set in, and I did not really know how long dad would be with us. And in that moment, it hurts. But if I step back and look at just the last seven years, and I see my dad hold his granddaughters, those moments of chemo and pulling, pulling parts of his body out of him don't hurt as much because they gave him six and a half years and gave him a chance to meet his granddaughters. And I don't know how long God's going to continue to do that. But what I do know is when I step back and look at the whole story, I see God going, hey, hey, the suffering does not compare to the glory of God. Now, let me just tell you about my daughters. You clap. Hey. Hey, there we go. Hey, and let me tell you a little bit about my daughters. I have two daughters. One is two weeks old, uh, and the other one's uh, three months old, two weeks, two years old. I, that's why my wife sits on the front row. She reminds me, hey, that one can walk now, okay, Ryan? Um, two years old and three months old. And um, I got this, this year, this Father's Day will be the, the my, my daughter will turn two, and then um, a few days later will be the Father's Day marking three years ago that I walked into my house after working in 1122 service. And there's a note on the door to the garage that says, Ryan, all I wanted to do is tell you today you would be a father. And I got to tell you, on Mother's Day, three years ago on Mother's Day, my wife's writing this, on Mother's Day, I lost our first child. And can I tell you, in the garage, holding that sheet, I was paralyzed. I didn't know where to rush in and hold my wife or break down in the garage and then go in and be Mr. Strong or just do all. And so I just cried and I tried to be strong. And I, and, I, and I didn't know what to do in that moment. I was overwhelmed. And I thought, this is, this, is, this is it, Jesus? This is what you're doing for me? And can I just tell you, just span back three years. The other night, my, my three-month-old, who is like a three-month-old version of me, life, hair, and everything, 
And we're already going to get some laser hair removal for that one. That's what she's getting for Christmas this year. And my, my almost two-year-old's in my other lap. And my almost two-year-old, Emery's going, Oh, happy day, happy day, which is Swahili for oh, happy day. <laughs> Can I just tell you, stepping back, that feeling of being in that garage holding that piece of paper fails to compare to the goodness of God. Now, now, let me just take this another step further. If God had never chosen to give Blair and I, Emery and Blakely, that feeling of hurt does not compare to the glory of God. Even without Emery, even without Blakely, Jesus is all that I need. And I'm so blessed and so overwhelmed to have my girls. But what God is saying is in the moment, if you just look through it in this lens, you cannot see that the glory of God is bigger than the trials. Number four. Trials are not meant to stop our growth, but move us beyond the grace that justifies into the grace that sanctifies. Uh, gospel, the, the salvation of our souls, it really happens in, in um, I'm just going to simplify it, in three stages. There's justification. We go from I was dead and now I'm alive. It's just as if I'd never sinned. I'm adopted into the family of God. The next thing is called sanctification. It's this daily grinding process of becoming more and more like Jesus in thought, in action, in deed, in everything we are. And then one day we will hit glorification where we enter into heaven and everything of the flesh, everything of the world will just fade away and we will be perfectly pure in front of God one-on-one. And here's where, here's where the danger is for most Christians. Most Christians get justified and go, that's good enough. And you know what trials do? They grind us and they, 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 they mold us to look more and more like Jesus. I thank God every day that suffering is a part of my life. I was saved at six years old, right? And if God did not mature me beyond that, I would have the fate of a six-year-old at vacation Bible school. But God allowed the things in my life, and I brought some of the things in my life on, and others were handed to me where God has grown me and matured me. That it wasn't just, Ryan, you're saved, which is good. It's, Ryan, you're saved so that you can daily walk out what salvation is. Romans chapter 5 says it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul says, hey, here's the deal. Because of the faith that God gave us to put in him, we have been justified. We're no longer enemies of God. We are now in in relationship with him. We're in family with him. We stand before him on the grounds of grace, which I think that's awesome. Let's just stop there. And then Paul goes, no, 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 verse 3, more than that. So Paul goes, that's pretty awesome. I'm going to level up. I'm going to take you up a level. I'm going to give you another insight. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. To which, once again, I go, Paul, what, what in the, what's wrong with you? More than knowing Jesus, more than knowing God, more than faith, right? Here's why. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love for has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's what Paul says, hey, more than just knowing Jesus, it is good that God would would allow us to suffer. The literal Greek there means that allow us to be pressed or molded. 
And when we're pressed or molded, it builds endurance. It builds the ability to stand firm. In fact, every time we have a trial, what God is doing is molding us more into the image of Jesus so that when the next one comes, we would stand firm. We would stand, be able to hold the weight of it. And as we gain endurance, it produces character. Character is just being regarded worthwhile. If I was still regarded of the faith maturity of of a six-year-old in vacation Bible school, um, God could not do the things in me and through me uh, that that, that uh, he's allowed to happen. He's allowed me to mature. He's allowed me to be pressed. He's allowed me to gain endurance. He's allowed me to to gain character. And the the goal and the highlight is this, is that we would have hope that we could look forward with confidence to what God is doing. And I'm just going to tell you, church, if you are just just you get justified and you think, hey, as long as I get into heaven, that's enough. There are parts of God that you are you're not seeing, you're not embracing, you're not having intimacy with Jesus because you're just fighting the things that God's trying to do to mature you. The, the, the fifth one is this. Trials are not meant to consume us, but refine us. The trials are not meant to consume us, but refine us. Here's what I know. If you are in the room right now and you're in the middle of a trial, it feels like I'm overwhelmed. This is going to be the end of me. It's going to consume me. I cannot stand with up any longer under this pressure. And can I just tell you that God's goal is not for you to topple. It's not for you to, to, to fall to the pressure. It's that you would be refined to his image. Malachi says it this way. There's several examples of this, and this is just the verse I, I picked. Malachi 3 says, He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings of righteousness to the Lord. Now, I don't know how many silversmiths we have in here this morning, uh, but by the end of the day, somebody's going to come up to me and tell me that silversmith is their hobby. We're just an eclectic group of people, and there's just some weird hobbies out there. And so silver, I don't know if you know about silver, about, about purifying silver, but here's how you do it. You take it and you put it on the end of a, of a, of a bar, a metal uh, iron bar, and you put it into the hottest part of the flame. You take the silver and you put it into the hottest, hottest part of the flame because what, ta- what it takes to, to, uh, to refine silver is high heat to burn the impurities off. But the impurities are so embedded in silver, you've got to put it all the way down into the fire to burn off as much. Uh, that's how you burn the impurities off. Now, here's the other thing about silver that you need to know. Um, it turns real quick. So if you if you if you don't have if you're not watching the silver as it purifies, it'll get bad in a hurry. So here's how uh, silver is refined. Someone sits beside the fire, and they put the silver in, in the hottest part of the flame, and they watch it until it's done. Here's how the silversmith knows that the silver is done. When the silversmith can see his image reflected in the silver, he pulls it out. And here's what we need to know, church, uh, that God is not allowing us to be in trials as some type of punishment or or allowing us to be in the hottest part of the fire just for his uh, amusement. He's putting us there. He's allowing us there. He's even holding some of you there because he is trying to get rid of the impurities that do not match his image because he loves us so much that he wants to move us beyond being just simply justified by grace to being sanctified, to being made more and more like him. And he will pull you out of the fire when you reflect his image and he'll pull you out and go, done, done. This is what I created you for. And so there's a little bit of us who goes, God, get me out of the fire. And God's going, no, I'm using the fire to get out of you what is not of me. And let's just be honest. Like silver, we bring a lot to the table that is not pure and holy. And God's going, no, I love you too much to leave that there. 
I love you too much to leave that there. Here's here's what you got to know. Our perspective, the way we look at suffering will dictate the way we respond to it every time. If you look at suffering and go, this is about attack, this is about ending me, this is about stunning my growth, this is about consuming me, every time you get into suffering and trial, you will look for the easiest way out. And the easiest way out may be to numb the pain, it may be to just solve, solve the issue for a moment, knowing that, that greater pain is coming. If you look at suffering and trials and go, this is God against me, then you'll try to flee and you'll try to get out as quick as possible, even if you know it's just going to set up more hurt in the future. If you look at trials and suffering and go, no, 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 this is God for me. God's not against me. God is for me. You won't look for the easiest way out. You'll fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and go, Jesus, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't even know how to get out of here, but I'm going to humble myself, surrender, and run after you, Jesus. Philippians chapter 3 says it this way, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. I may share in his suffering, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. But the big idea is this, the path of resurrection in life is always by way of suffering and death. And so when we look at suffering, we cannot church in a biblical way. We cannot look at suffering and go, this is God against me. This is my end. This is his attack. What we do when we look at suffering, it goes, God is for me. He is refining me. He is maturing me. He loves me too much to just leave me be. He wants to help me look more like him, to know him more, to be more intimate over and over and over and over. And so my, my prayer for us this morning as we wrap up and we respond and, and we, we move into a time of going, okay, what does the gospel mean? How does that, that gospel, what's the implications that victory and freedom are mine and that this trial is not the end but simply a catalyst? What do I do? My prayer for us this morning is that we would just simply begin to let the truth that suffering is okay. The truth of Acts chapter 14, that we would be strengthened, our souls would be strengthened, that we would be encouraged to continue in the faith and be okay with the fact that many trials are on the roadmap. They're on the path of life. Their journey of faith is going to have them. And so we have one or two choices. In suffering, we can look for the easiest way out. Or in suffering, we can look for the one who's trying to heal our wounds and perfect us. Remember, God's goal is that we be perfected, that we would lack nothing, that we would be complete. First Peter 5 says it this way, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Would you stand and pray with me? Lord, we love you, and God, I thank you so much that what you want to do is to strengthen our hearts to restore us, to give us life. And God, as we respond, some of us may need to respond by coming and kneeling at an altar and praying and crying out and going, God, thank you for the suffering. I've been running from you. I've been running from it. But now I'm I'm, I'm running just to you. I'm just gonna run after Jesus. Now, some of us need to just um, come to a point where we can look back at some things we've been angry with you about, God, because you let happen. And maybe instead of anger with you, we would be joyful in your presence that you would put your Holy Spirit on us and, and rest and dwell in us that we would know you. And so, God, whatever it is that we, uh, whatever it is you're stirring our hearts to do, God, may this time of response just be a, a moment for us to do that.
in your name we pray. Amen. Mighty to say. 